listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. So welcome to the Latin Experts podcast hosted by Mexican-American Latino Studies at the University of Texas, the Center for Mexican-American Studies and the Latino Research Institute. My name is Professor Maria Cotera. I am a new faculty at MALS and I'm delighted to introduce you to some women who I respect very deeply and who are at the leading edge of um, Latinx digital humanities. Gabriela Baeza Ventura is an associate professor of Hispanic literature in Hispanic studies at the University of Houston, where she teaches courses on U.S. Latino literature for graduate and undergraduate students. She's also the executive editor of Arte Publico Press, where she supervises the production of up to 30 books a year. Her publications include a monograph on the representation of Mexican women in Spanish language newspapers in the United States, two anthologies on U.S. Latino literature, and an edited volume on the poetry of a renowned Chicana poet, Angela de Hoyos. She has also translated over 30 books for children and young adults from Spanish to English, where she and her colleague, Carolina Villarreal, are co-PIs on an Andrew W. Mellon Foundation grant to establish the first program on U.S. Latino digital humanities in Texas and in the nation. Also with us is Carolina Villarreal, who holds a PhD in Spanish literature with a specialization in U.S. Latino literature and women's studies. She's the former archivist in charge of the Mexican-American and African-American collection at the Houston Metropolitan Research Center at the Houston Public Library. And in 2011, she became a certified archivist through the Academy of Certified Archivists. Her expertise in U.S. Latino culture and literature has been fundamental to her positions at the University of Houston, where she is the Brown Foundation Director of Research of Recovering the U.S. Hispanic Literary Heritage, a national program whose goal is to identify, preserve, study, and make accessible the written public production of Latinos and Latinas in the United States from the colonial period until 1960. She and her colleague, Gabriela Valles-Aventura, are co-PIs on the Andrew Mellon Foundation grant to establish the first program on U.S. Latino digital humanities. So I have invited them here to talk about the future of U.S. Latino digital humanities. We'll start, actually, just by welcoming them. Welcome to you. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. Like I said, you're at the leading edge of, of this emergent field and so I, I feel like I, I should ask you first, kind of the most important question, why is it important to have a, a center dedicated specifically to Latinx digital humanities? Um, why do we need this now? Well, thank you. Thank you, Maria, for this uh, invitation um, to be part of this um of this podcast to talk about the, some of the work that we're doing. Also, we're we're honored to uh, participate with you as as you're also a, a leader in the digital in the field of digital humanities, and giving us a lot of uh, important theory to discuss right and to center some of the work that we've been doing for a long time. So, 
this is, you know, when, you know, the, the urgency for having this center, there's, there's, I mean, for me, there's an urgency to having, to establishing a center. Centers are established for all kinds of reasons that, you know, in, in academic institutions all over the U.S. And a lot of times those centers, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of promise, right, to do things for the community, but a lot of times they don't necessarily do it. And so we've been working, you know, and the, and the undercommons, right, <laughs> Working, um, you know, uh, you know, below all the infrastructure, uh, having, you know, the recovery program has existed for almost 27 years already. Having, you know, discovered, documenting the presence of Latinos in this territory that we call the United States now, uh, and so the urgency for establishing a center in digital humanities that would extend the work of the recovery program to continue to document and disseminate uh, the liter, the you know, the the the, liter the literary production of Latinos in this territory from the colonial period up until the 1980s uh, was is so needed, not only because we're extending that work, but also because we are teaching and sharing uh, this knowledge with newer generations, uh, training our, our people on how to do digital humanities, working with the community, centering our community as, as producers of, of knowledge, Right. For us, that is key in all the work that we do. We want to make sure that the work does not stay at the academic institution. We want for this, for all of these materials to go into the communities. And so for us, the importance of, of having this center is, is, I don't know, it's a hundredfold, right, for us, as all Latino projects are. It's, it's about creating the space within the institution so that we have um, so that the institution has to reconcile with the fact that there are faculty doing work that work that that deals with the community, that deals with uh, languages other than English, that deals with uh, with histories that are not incorporated into um, the the you know the the traditional um, literary and historical discourse. Um, and then also to, to extend the work from the, from the academic world into the community. To us, that's extremely important. We do that through working with, with, uh, with students at all levels, undergraduate, graduate, uh, postdocs, training faculty, faculty who, who are already um, are established faculty, teaching them digital to, you know, the, the skills and digital tools so that they can enhance their work and um, reach their students. What else, Carol? Well, uh, um, yeah, that's exactly it. And thank you, Maria, again. Uh, and also, I think that uh, the idea was to activate, if you can call it that way, the, the, the already existing community of Latinas and Latinos working with digital humanities that was there, but they were somehow isolated and thinking that they were alone doing this work. So I think one of the first things that, that we did was to call out into the community and create a, a basic spreadsheet with projects, with people all over the country, creating, activating this community, uh, making it part of, of something to, in turn, um, you know, create representation in different institutions around the country. Um, and also in an in a, in a institutional level, as a, you know, talking about the recovery program and all the archival work that we've been doing for years uh, with our, all of our associates all over the world. Uh, it's, uh, we also, through this project, this program, because it has so many tentacles you know, everywhere, it uh, was to 
create access, innovative access to this archive and create, expand the conversation and how this archive uh, should have prominence in this digital conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and it occurs to me like that, you know, some of our listeners might not understand the significance of the recovery work that Arte Público has been doing since, what, 1984? So that- Arte Público started in 1979 with a Revista Chicano Riqueña, right? And then in the 1980s, it, it, it published its first book, La Carreta Made a U-Turn by Tato Laviera, which is a collection of poetry. Right, and then from then on, the the Revista Chicano Riqueña evolved into uh, the Americas Review. And so, the goal for 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 the for the creation of of that magazine and the publishing house was to serve as a venue for uh, for the work of uh, of academics, uh, artists, uh, writers, you know, and writers of all genres, poetry, uh, fiction, nonfiction. Uh, you know, in academics to, who could who could publish their work in a in a place um, where the, where their work would be read and and evaluated by people who were Latino, right? Who knew about you know what was happening with Latino literature, Latino culture in the United States, who could genuinely um, evaluate and respect that work, right? And center the the work from from the perspective of Latinos in the United States. And so it, you know the press is fully nonprofit. Uh, later on in the in the 90s, Arte Publico Press developed its imprint, Piñata Books, which these uh, which went into publishing books for for the for children, right, children and, and young adults, which now is like a whole new monster of its own, right? Now we there's you know a lot of other presses have have evolved as as a result of that, which is wonderful. And then Recovery Project, uh, the recovery program started in the 19 in 1990s. Um, Ricardo, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's like a, a response, like Arte Publico, like Piñata Books is a response to a need from the community, you know, in this case, in the historical side to be able to recover all this hidden literature and, and written legacy that, uh, you know, scholars knew that was there, but we didn't know where exactly, and it was scattered through, you know, attics and garages and all that, and we're still doing that work, I mean. It's still important work that is going on. So promoting, preserving, locating first, preserving, and, um, you know, educating libraries and archives about the importance of their, uh, of, of, of recovering these kind of materials and including it in, in their archives. And also um, creating a scholarship around it with all the different scholars in different fields, history, anthropology, religion, literature, etc. Uh, and uh, and that's how in 1991 uh, the recovery project came to be with us, a group of scholars from different institutions around the country. Mm-hmm. And that uh, initial uh, project was really about recovering um, work from a specific period, right, from the colonial era to, was the cutoff point 1960? Yeah. It was in 1960, and then it moved to 1980. A few years ago, uh, under a recommendation from a board member, um, Jose Aranda from Rice University, who proposed to move, you know, and it, 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 it was logic you know, to move, you know, 20 more years. So we are able to recover part of the Chicano movement and, and you know, and uh, include everything that you've been recovering. 
that was not part of the recovery and in this way it becomes part integral part of the recovery program and uh, you know what i found so interesting about arte publico is is that and the recovery project in particular is that in many uh, ways you were early adopters of um you know sort of early digital humanities tools um <laughs> yes. that, in other words your your move into the world of digital and public humanities is not new and so do you want to tell us a little bit about how um you you know in those early years as an organization shared um uh some of the the recovered objects particularly newspapers i think is the the major contribution uh spanish language newspapers um so so what kinds of uh technologies uh did you and have you used to share the this important archival material with uh with the yeah. rest of us well it was interesting now that you if we look back you know and i say this in some of the presentations uh, we started digitizing materials with i think i mean just a few people were doing that years ago so for people who understand about the difference uh, between pdfs and tiffs and all that we were scanning at the maximum tiff uh, uh, quality that was 90 if you consider that now archival i mean the standards are 300 to 600 DPI, we were doing a, a 90, and that was the maximum. So we were reading the newspapers, everything by hand with the manual, you know, the reels and manual machines and all that. And then scanning, we had one scanner where we scanned the materials and created the databases. Uh, it was, it was uh, huge, you know, labor by students, graduate students. We were graduate students at that time. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, recovering materials, but also as a researcher and as a student was so rich because you were there reading the newspapers, you know, tracing history and, and looking for hidden voices or lost voices within the spectrum of literature. So we were discovering that um, someone writing under a pseudonym was such and such writer that was not known. So it was it was such an important work. So we had to move with, you know, with times and the digital world, we had to move from 90 and rescan things, you know, and move it to, to higher resolutions and all that. And it was a challenge to uh, think about sharing this material because at that time, nobody was talking about portals, creating websites. And, and as you know, Maria, it's difficult to uh, upload images this size of of this size, or and, and and with the difficulties that we have with the newspapers, there sometimes we they are not um, very. I mean, newspaper the paper they use for newspaper is really it, it was really acidic, so sometimes it was not readable at all. We had to use Photoshop to clean images, so we, you know researchers were able to read the newspaper. So to upload these huge images into something to make it available, it was impossible. So we we started conversations with EBSCO first, and they offered us to create a platform to showcase our databases, especially newspapers, as you mentioned, and uh, and they will do all the work. And this was the first archival um, 
platform that we will uh, that they were creating. So we were the prototype for EBSCO for the following archival, uh, you know, work that they're doing right now, and especially in Spanish. So it's a lot of conversations about the importance of recovering these, uh, the importance of recovering materials other than English, as Gabby mentioned, and uh, and uh, we were able to successful published with them two databases with hundreds of articles, thousands of articles from newspapers and hundreds of texts. Um, but we do have much more. So with the digital humanities, when we discovered digital humanities, we discovered also that we were doing digital humanities way before everybody else. So it was a natural step for us, but also allow us to take control of what we wanted to share and how we wanted to share it without had to go without having to go to a middle person to negotiate things, um, and then we were able to uh, release a database of four hundred newspapers with Newsbank, and that was a game changer for our, for our scholars because they're all over the world, and with this database, they're able to access the newspapers from their homes to do their research that before was impossible. Which has become ever more critical in COVID times. And so exactly. thinking, you know. Exactly. So, um, so when did you, um, so when did the Mellon Grant uh, come into being and what compelled you to reach out to Mellon and uh, ask them for support? So I'm, I'm very curious about this process because I know that, uh, and I'll just give a little, my little backstory to this. I know that um, some years back, you know, a group of us had, had been talking about how the DH world and the foundation world had really not actively uh, solicited or supported um, digital humanities projects focused on the Latinx community. I mean, this was conversation rolling around with the few of us that were engaged. You know, I started uh, with Linda Garcia Merchant, Chicana Bormirasa in 2009. By around, you know, 2012, 2013, uh, we were experiencing a lot of challenges in terms of getting support for our work, both locally at, our, at my institution and, and nationally through large or major grants. And I know we, you know, we started a conversation with you about your own uh, challenges that you are facing and, and thinking about, you know, the larger field and um, really uh, how Latinx communities and histories and experiences continue to be quite invisible in the field of digital humanities. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of uh, your Mellon Grant and, and uh, fill in the blanks that I left, I guess? <laughs> So with uh, Arte Público, we've, you know, we, we are nonprofits, so we primarily work with uh, foundations to, to get grants to publish most of our books. And so we have a history of working with various foundations. Um, Carolina has always does a lot of research. She's, she's, you know, she's an amazing, you know, a scholar and researcher, always trying to figure out like ways to locate funds for, you know, to continue to hire graduate students, to do, you know, research assistance, to bring in volunteers, uh, interns, you know, so that we can um, pay them, right, while they do, while they do some of the, of the work that they need to do for us. And so um, she identified the Mellon Grant, the, the program that was uh, offering grants for digital humanities. And she said, she came into my office and she said, this is it. 
this is the one that we're applying for. And then I said, oh, well, I don't know if, if I want to, you know, I don't want to, if, if I want to do that, it sounds like really complicated. They're not going to give it to us. And then she was like, no, she's like, we have it all. It's, it's all here. You know, we're going to sit down, we're going to start working on it. And we did. Um, we, we sat down, we started, you know, looking at, at, at what we could do. Um, one of the very interesting and not interesting, but well, it, it is an interesting thing that, that when we first met with the Mellon Foundation, one of the first things that they told us, the uh, project officer or the, um, the officer at that moment told us that we were very ambitious. And, and I was, at first I was like, you know, at my colonial, my, you know, my colonial <laughs> uh, uh, attitude Raider. at that moment. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, you know, thank you for acknowledging that I'm, I'm ambitious. But then I was like, what the, Hey, you know, yeah, of course I'm ambitious. I have to be, you know, and then, and then I came back kind of, I think very, maybe like, maybe kind of uh, brush or like, like rude. Right. And I said, well, I have to be ambitious. We, we don't have any other option because our initial grant was for a million dollars, a million point five, I think. Point two. Yeah. A million point two dollars. See how she, she remembers everything. Um, <laughs> and so we had, we, you know, we had a plan to do, um, some training, like a lot of free training for our communities, uh, a lot of, uh, like pedagogy, pedagogical training, a lot of different projects, um, what else, Carol? We had a lot of re- grants in aid. Grants in aid because the recovery uh, for a while, uh, when the when the recovery established, they issued a lot of grants in aid to bring in scholars from all over the world uh, to do research and to allow to help us disseminate some of the materials that were in in at the recovery. And so we included all of that. And so they 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 set us down very nicely and told us that, well, you know what, they couldn't give, you know, two Latinas a million dollars, but they could maybe help them with a planning grant, right? Which, which was a very gentle nudge from the Mellon Foundation. We later found out that usually when they, when they allow you to apply for a planning grant, that means that they are looking at your project as one that can receive further funding from them. And so we took, you know, we took that as something very positive. We worked with an amazing uh, project um, coordinator at that moment, or I don't, I don't, can't remember the title of the uh, program, se les llama? program officer. Program he was very, very supportive of our work. He helped us and and guided us in, into into you know creating a, a planning grant that took us to the, several centers throughout the United States to research the type of work that they, that they did the several digital humanities center, because the goal for, for this grant was for us to create a digital humanities center. Right. And so we, we toured a bunch of different uh, digital humanities centers across the nation, met amazing people at some of these centers, established a, a network. We already, we already had a network of digital humanities scholars with whom we have been communicating with and participating at conferences. At. And so they, um, when we visited the centers, we were able to see what was working and what was not working. And we received a lot of affirmation about the work that we had already been doing. You know, a lot of the work that had been, uh, that was ongoing at the recovery program was work that some of these centers were barely starting to do, but they had like huge budgets, right? And here we were like struggling and they were like, well, we don't know how to work with the community. Well, we don't know. How, I mean, how did you all do it? You know, and it was, and it's all because we've, we were working, 
you know, we are, you know, we go to the source, we, we center our communities, we, we're not afraid to get our, our hands dirty. And also we, we're very generous with the, with the knowledge that we have and the information that, that, that is in our, you know, that is in our environment. We, we want to train people so that there's more of us and not just a few of us doing the word and that, you know, trickles down. It's the idea is that we train more people so that more people are going out there to train people like us, right? So that we uncover all of these materials that are hidden in some of these archives or in communities where people, where people still don't feel comfortable uh, sending their materials to a, a, you know, a university or an academic or traditional archive. So if I might add something, I think that during the conversations, uh, uh, the officer, uh, uh, he's not he's no longer in, at, at, at the foundation. He suggested for us to apply for a, a grant with CLEAR. And I'm trying to Council remember. Council of Library and, informa- <laughs> and love Information. Resources? Resources. Resources. So, and they are very tied to uh, to Mellon. We didn't know at that time. So um, we, I just got an email from them and <laughs> from Clear. So they are connected with DLF, that it's big on digital humanities and archives. So that conversation, I mean, uh, the officer uh, suggested for us to apply for um, a postdoc from Clear. They had a new program to, uh, in, you know, invite, uh, serve for, for institutions to serve as hosts for postdocs in Latin American and Caribbean, you know, archives. And uh, so we said, but we are not really Latin American and Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So the conversation with Clear started, uh, you know, saying, yeah, we want to apply for this, but we want you to expand it and look beyond this because you have a whole community here in the United States, you know, the U.S. Latinos and Latinas that need to be represented on this. So mm-hmm. we made the case and they agreed and they let us apply. And that's how we got our programs manager now, that's Lorena Gatro. Mm-hmm. And uh, that initiated a conversation. And we were able, I was able to meet uh, Don Waters, the officers from, from Mellon, during that uh, initial meeting Mm-hmm. Uh, for clear where we uh, were invited with Lorena to participate. That led to a whole, like I said, a whole new conversation and opportunities for us to be included in this uh, in this space where we're not invited before. Yeah. And that ended up uh, last a few months ago when we were invited to present at the DLF, the Digital Library Federation. Mm-hmm. So it's been one thing, creating connections with another and bringing our people with us, you know, yeah. <laughs> including everybody, students, like Abby said, everybody into the conversation, into the conferences. And you were there, Maria, when we had for the first time, you know, posters for the recovery conference. Mm-hmm. And we had, high, we had high school students presenting right. there. That was huge for us, but for them and their careers and how mm-hmm. they think about their careers as future scholars, you know, in this, in this field. Yeah, and, and making a lot of these, a lot of the, the, the workshops and the, the presentations free, you know, and accessible to all the communities and, 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 in, and, in, and in, you know, and, uh, and also in, in uh, languages other than English as well. Um, because that's one of our, that's one of our goals. One of the, one of the opportunities that we had when speaking to Don Waters in, in a couple of those meetings was the opportunity to, they were very receptive to, um, 
to be like educated about, you know, what Latinx digital humanities is and what it is not. Right. Because, um, it was, it's unfortunate that a lot of times, uh, it is believed that because something is just done in Spanish, it represents a Latino community and it really doesn't. Right. And so a lot of, and a lot of times we're not given the opportunity to explain some of the, some of the, the you know, the theoretical praxis that are, in, that involve doing U.S. Latino DH, you know, and, and we were given, you know, some of those opportunities to talk about that and, and they were receptive to that. And so I think that also led to, to, to opening up spaces for, you know, new scholars that are coming up in digital humanities that, that are really doing Latinx DH work. Uh, and not, you know, Latin American or just uh, Spanish language, the age, which is totally different. Well, and after we received that grant, we were able to apply for the second grant, right. the big one grant, you know. The big one. Yeah. The big one. <laughs> Tell us about the big one. So um, uh, you guys are doing some really amazing work with this Mellon grant. And so if you could just tell us what it is that the Mellon grant um, has enabled you to do uh, in the, to, to build, or, or maybe even just like, tell us, um, you know, the purpose for, in your mind, the, right, the mission, um, that you want to pursue and, and then the parts of that mission, what are the different things you're doing from grants and aids to any other aspect? I know you have a postdoc. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about what this Mellon grant has opened up for, um, for the project. I think it goes back to what Gabby said at the beginning, and I mean to be a multifold, you know, uh, purpose. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, to create opportunities for for uh, Latinas and Latino scholars to work in digital humanities, to become acquainted with this, and to create digital scholarship was one of them. Uh, to create access to the recovery archives, uh, you know. Uh, uh, First, but then to bring visibility to the different archives that are out there that are related to the, the Latino and uh, Latina community, um, and and consolidate this this community center, you know, uh, a program where are collaborating. We are promoting our work. We're we're uh, creating lists of, of people that should be invited to presentations, you know, to conferences when they're looking. So it, it really, really, uh, it's a program that was community um, oriented and the grant, I think, allow us to do that. And one of the most important things that it's been uh, very fruitful has been the grant aid. You know, as Gabby mentioned before, the recovery program throughout the 20s, 20 something years, almost 30 years of work, had uh, granted, I think, uh, one, 182 grants in aid. And that builds the scholarship. That literally builds a scholarship. So we thought we need that money. We need that money to give opportunities because we had people knocking on our door, scholars and students saying, hey, I want to learn how to do that. I want to apply, you know, my research and, and you know, make it look like this or learn new ways to do it. And uh, we really wanted to facilitate that. So uh, the purpose of the grant aid was to provide training and support for scholars to to create to 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 create their projects and then to uh, promote it and and you know and and shepherd them through the whole process and I think that's been a very successful. We are really really happy with the seven grants in aid, the first ones, and it it became very competitive like immediately. I think that this year we received. 
more than 30 proposals for seven grants in aid. So that 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 says something, you know, <laughs> there is a need still in the, out there in the community for this kind of money that will allow people comfortably to work in a project and complete it. And um, you want to continue, Gabby? No, and I think uh, I think you you hit on all the points the the grants in aid and and the the you know building the scholarship uh, a lot of helping um, usher and 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 train the new scholars in in this field and I would the last thing that I that I want to say is is to continue to disseminate the the work that recovery has the recovery arte público um, all the you know the our, our, all of our ancestors in, in recovery work throughout the United States have been doing right into making these materials accessible to a larger audience. And that, that to me was, was one of the, you know, the, 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 the biggest goal of, of this, of this uh, creating this center. You know, that's, that's still the, like, the, like the top thing that we want to do. And the last thing is the Latino experts list that we've created because we have a lot of experts in our field you know, and, 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 you know, in, in recovery work and in digital humanities, you know, there's a lot of Latinas who are doing a lot of, a, a lot of this work that a lot of times don't get invited to do presentations, keynotes. And that's what we want to do. You know, we want to make sure that when people, you know, look at the, at, at, at you know, U.S. Latino digital humanities, that they think of a, of a wide range of people who are doing a bunch of different things. And and uh, and we hope that you know that the list that we have created that are on our website um, are visited often, so that you know people see and and also that people add themselves to these lists because it's important that we you know support each other and share this knowledge with with others. Yeah, if I can mention two two things, one is that related to the the, the grant is that we were able to bring a postdocs mm-hmm. you know uh, to at work. We're very happy with our postdoc, Linda <laughs> Garcia Merchant. She she was the perfect mm-hmm. complement to what we yeah. were doing, you know, to help us expand in 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 in, in lines and ways that we needed to expand. So oh, I think it, I mean it's a fantastic addition, and we were able to create a position for the for the uh, digital humanities component. Of a program manager, that it's a it's a Lorena Gathrol position right now. So we were able to create a team that to to work together to keep applying for grants, but also to keep uh, supporting each other to uh, you know maintain this uh, this big program that is going on right now. And the, the other thing is to mention uh, because I'm really happy about this. I think that this is it really reflects our work with the community. Uh, some of the spreadsheets that that Gabby mentioned that we mentioned before. So we have different spreadsheets: one for programs, one uh, around the country, one for professionals, you know, and DH, and um, in the one for uh, projects around the country, we ask people to add their projects in there so people can use it for classes. And it's a spreadsheet. And um, we started conversations with the LULAC, uh, with LULAC uh, 60, the historical LULAC here, and uh, community historians. And uh, it's very satisfactory because what the community historian here, the David Contreras, took ownership of the spreadsheet. And it, I thought it was marvelous. He started adding a lot of materials in the spreadsheet, you know, and, uh, and he created an alternative spreadsheet within the spreadsheet to list LULAC news that he was researching to make it available to everybody. 
I mean, how wonderful is that? Is the perfect connection, the thing that we wanted to do the most, you know, between the connection between the academia and the community where they can take ownership of the knowledge that they're creating, you know, not for us to be using their knowledge for, you know, uh, academic purposes, but for them to use these academic spaces for their benefit. So that, that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it makes me think about some conversations that we have had in the past about what distinguishes Latinx DH from regular DH or other forms of sub-DH. I don't even know, you know, like DH is a very expansive and complex uh, world. It includes people who are more, you know, involved in infrastructure and tool development and people who are interested in archives and making them available and, you know, other people who are into experimental writing and rhetorics, you know, so it's really heterogeneous. Um, but, uh, and also, you know, digital studies, and which is another area that I think, you know, I know I've been thinking a lot about this, that, you know, there's not enough um, coherence and visibility for those scholars, uh, you know, for, for a Latinx digital studies approach, right? which I think could be linked to DH in very interesting ways. Um, uh, but what would you, how would you describe what makes Latinx DH uh, distinctive in your mind? How is it different than other projects or say, or maybe even, you know, what does it share with other mm -hmm. projects and approaches? I think one of the one of the for me one of the the things that stands out is the decolonial aspect of digital humanities and and Latinx uh, work. You know, we are consistent consistently discussing uh, issues of of how do we uh, center and 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 the and and decolonize some of the spaces right from where we're working. You know, we are constantly asking ourselves: Are we reproducing the systems of power? As we, you know, analyze, you know, some of the works that we're doing when we create like a like a digital exhibit, I, we always ask, like, what would this author want to do if they had the opportunity to, you know, to do this exhibit themselves? You know, how would they center themselves? And so a lot of times because we work with a lot of materials that are, you know, recovered where the author, you know, is no longer alive. We rely a lot of um, on the on context, on historical context, on social context, right? We if, if we're working with a newspaper, it's not simply you know taking the articles from the newspaper and and readjusting them and making them look pretty. It's actually like reading the entire newspaper to see what was the tone, you know, what were the tenets that were being discussed, you know, what is the you know how do we anchor this 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 um, writer or this this I don't I don't know these materials within a specific context. And so, and so we we do we are embattled a lot of times with these uh, colonial practices, right? And where we need to ask ourselves: Are we are we going to reproduce some of these systems that continue to oppress and 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 create you know a system of uh, second class citizen citizenry for for our projects and for our communities? And so um, I think that's to me that's what U.S. Latinx work does, and 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 it has to do with. With language, it has to do with discourse, and it has to do just it, and it also has to do a lot with even like the accessibility, right? We 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 our goal is to always choose uh, software that is free, 
so that if we have, you know, opportunities or cases where a community wants to reproduce, you know, the, the, or do this, reproduce the same, um, I don't know, use the same software to, to do their own project. We want them to be able to learn it and to use it on their own. Um, also, you know, low bandwidth as well so that it's readily available to, to our community. So we're always like, we have between the four of us, uh, Dr. Lorena Gatero, Dr. Linda Garcia Merchant, uh, Carolina and myself, we're like always asking, you know, we all offer a different uh, evaluation of each of the projects so that hopefully we meet, you know, some of those goals in when we check uh, some of the work that we're doing. Yeah, and for me, I mean, it's what Gabby just mentioned, and we're very uh, strongly rooted on, on social justice. Like many of the the Latinx or Latinas and Latinos project, Latino projects out there, you know, that I've seen, uh, we have the tendency of being very uh, social justice oriented. And it makes sense because we want to include this, these stories that we find mainly in our community. So including that, including our communities, is, it's, it's something that is very important. Mm-hmm. And it also seems to me to be um, capacity building. Like I, I often, like everything you've described is really about building capacity um, to to move forward to, you know, sort of, you know, from the recognition of expertise and the expertise people bring to the table to training, to um, empowering communities to take control of their own archival uh, projects, you know, um, to empowering, you know, small DH projects with grants and aid um, to get them started. It's just, you know, about building the field. So what, what is next? Uh, first of all, I mean, just in a very particular sense, do you, are you going to run the grants and aid program one more time? How many years are you going to do that? Or does the grant allow? And then what is next on the horizon for um, USLDH? So we have, yeah, we have one more, we have one more year through the, so the Mellon Foundation gave us enough to offer 14 grants. So we were in the process of, of, uh, of evaluating the next set of grants. Um, we're constantly, you know, we're always in the process of applying for more grants because we do want to continue to offer grants in aid. You know, the grants in aid for the recovery program basically were foundational to the field of Latino studies. Right. And, and also in, in securing uh, tenure positions for many of, of Latino studies scholars. Um, and so we find that, that this, is, this is also fundamental for, for DH scholars. Um, we, uh, we, we're hoping that we can bring in another postdoc. Our goal is to always have a postdoc who is in training at the recovery program, right? So that they can learn all the different skills that we can offer. Um, continue working with volunteers and establishing different uh, pathways and grants that can hopefully offer like paid internships and, you know, just continue to do the same work that we're doing. But, you know, we're very active in trying to secure more grants that hopefully will, will help us build out the recovery USLDH into um, what the recovery has become, you know, a, a very important program, a program that is, uh, fundamental to the field of Latino studies. And so we hopefully USLDH will, will continue, will become that in, you know, in 10 years. And then, uh, you know, we'll have, you know, some of our students who will be tenure DH faculty, you know, at universities. That's, that's my goal to see that, you know, um, 
I think we're fortunate enough that, you know, that uh, Lorena was able to stay with us, um, you know, in a semi-permanent position at the University of Houston. And that's what we would like for our postdocs to continue to hopefully secure positions that uh, that become, you know, per, uh, you know, permanent or near permanent positions so that they can continue to do the work, you know, the committed work that they've been doing up until now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that one of the goals that we had at the beginning was to, it was I don't remember, it was the last goal that we had to become a hub. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because we understood the, 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 the struggle of the community archives uh, before Medland came up with the community archives, you know, uh, grants that is, you know, <laughs> it was, it's great. But we want, we, we, because through the years of working with recovery, uh, we knew their struggle and the struggle of the community trying to preserve their, you know, histories and, and not trusting archives to preserve their history. So it's always the fear, you know, working with newspapers, there's always the fear that that's going to be, that's going to be lost. Like we lost many newspapers that we, we know that we're not going to be able to find it anymore. So that's always, it was always in the back of our hand, head. We need to somehow become a hub. That's a huge, it was a huge dream because, because of all the infrastructure that need to be in place to do that. The team, it was just Gabby and me at that time. So the team that needed to be in place to be able to become that hub, to help and, and to create all the guidelines. So or working again in a decolonial way, we don't become proprietors of the knowledge but become a hub that it's voluntary and where we can assure people we're not going to own your collection. We can help you preserve it, but we will not, you know, and people can come through us. They know that we will have that information stored, stored for you. So, uh, and I think that working on all the other areas and creating connections with different groups, we have been able to advance on that goal. You know, without even, you know, uh, trying that much because it was something, something so big. So there are things coming up that we can't talk about it yet. <laughs> but ah. uh, but th- there are things coming up that are very exciting that are moving us forward in that sense. Right. And so when you say a hub, you literally mean like um, uh, um, the dream that other, actually other archivists have held, Latinx archivists have held for many years of a central repository of some sort for the Latinx uh, culture, history, literature, kind of. Exactly. Just like recovery is for the, you know, for the written legacy. But before the digital, you know, materials that are out there, the collections that are out there. Well, this is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and and, uh, the story of USLDH and Arte Publico and the recovery project and your big dreams. I completely endorse them. I think uh, it's <laughs> it's necessary to document these histories, obviously, but it's also important to have and you know a kind of ethical grounding and a mm-hmm. decolonial grounding for for how we go about doing that. I'm excited to to see where all of this goes. Thank you, and we're very excited to have you close now. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. Um, Thank thanks you, so Maria. much for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Hi, all. This is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page 
Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.